You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, James and Anna. That is not an easy thing to do, what they just did there. To, uh, to welcome and to cover all of those elements that we asked him to cover. But I want to let you know about one more thing. Uh, my name is Eric Barton, and I do get to pass with the downtown campus. And in view of all of the things that are going on, we want to let you know that there's something uh, a little bit unusual and unique that we're very much looking forward to. Beginning this Thursday night, the 28th of September, in this very room, we are partnering with a lot of local churches to sort of commemorate and celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. What has the Reformation meant to the church? And so we're going to allow different leaders of different churches in our community to give their perspective of what this means. We'll start off on the very first Thursday with our friend Mark Brayton of our Savior's Lutheran Church, who will talk about the Lutheran perspective of the Reformation. The following week... We're going to get to hear from uh, Bishop Strickland and Father Nye of the Catholic Diocese on what is their perspective of the Reformation. That ought to be very entertaining. And then I get to go up with my uh, Presbyterian friend, Ben Wheeler. After that, the following week, we'll hear from the Episcopal uh, perspective and sort of the birth of the Anglican Church and all that that means. And then we'll have a discussion about what does the Reformation look like in terms of our everyday life with respect to vocation and work. And then we'll follow that up on November 2nd with a panel of all the different speakers so we can ask questions and sort of find out, hey, what has this meant to the church for the last 500 years? So I hope that even though this is probably relatively short notice, that you will plan on being with us, if you can, these next several Thursday nights here in this very room on the third floor, 7 o'clock to about 8.30-ish on Thursday evenings. Now, here's what I would love to do. I want us to pray together, and then we're going to dive into the passage that James and Anna have already read for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness in revealing yourself, your truth to us. We ask that you would speak, Lord, that you would give us hearts to hear. Your servants are listening. We pray all this the only way we can, in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are in a semester series called Jesus Stories. It is a walk through the parables of Jesus. Jesus told a lot of stories. And this is not my characteristic, typical way to go about preaching, those of you who have been here before or who've been with us for a long time. But I figured since, as has already been mentioned, you can hear the coos of kids, that since this morning is our child dedication service, I would would try to assimilate a little bit some of the teaching styles of Jesus. And I'm going to start by telling a story. Everyone loves stories. Once upon a time... In a land far, far away, there lived a king. And this king had a kingdom. Now, I don't know what images and ideas flash into your mind when you hear once upon a time there was a king, but perhaps it evokes imagery like dragons and knights and castles and dames in distress and all those kinds of things. But this kingdom, it wasn't like that kingdom. This kingdom was very unique. In fact, the king himself was no ordinary king. In fact, this king was God. He was good, strong, mighty, 
loving, trustworthy, awesome. And he decided that he would have for himself a kingdom. In fact, the people of this kingdom also didn't resemble or reflect any of the typical ideas of a kingdom residency. They were sort of a bunch of ragtag losers that had found themselves in excruciating bondage and slavery in a foreign country. And so this king, for no other reason than he is good, this king decides to go and rescue them out of their bondage, out of their slavery, out of their pain, out of their hopelessness and helplessness. And he brings them into a land that he has prepared for them, into a realm of promise. Where he says, this is the place. You didn't earn it. You didn't make it. You didn't work for it. I'm giving it to you. And I will be your king. I will be your God. You will be my people. All you've got to do is honor me, follow me, allow me to love you. This is what righteousness in the realm looks like. But these poor, poor people, they just couldn't do it. All they had to do was obey the commands and the decrees of the king, and they could stay and experience abundance. But these people, they just, they just couldn't find it within themselves to obey. You ever been there? I call that Monday through Sunday. You just don't seem to have the oomph to obey, to do what you know you're supposed to do. And so this people decided they didn't want to hear from this king anymore. Even though he had rescued them, brought them out, they decided we don't want you as our king anymore. And it broke the heart of this king. We don't want you. We want to settle for something less. We want to look like the nations around us, and we want to have a king just like them. And Good king, God said, don't do it. Don't do it. It will not go well with you. You will suffer immeasurably. And they said, we don't want to hear from you anymore. We want to look like everybody else. And so this good king, he relented, and he allowed them to choose from among themselves a king like them, like the nations. And of course, it went horribly bad. There was suffering. There was strife. There was sin. So much so that by the third king that comes along, this kingdom actually splits. It's divided, and the monarchy has fallen. The kingdom is broken. And they continue to descend in disobedience and darkness and separation, living lives apart from God. So much so that the good king finally says, this self-destruction is more than I can bear. And so he raised up another nation far to the east, the big, scary empire known as the Babylonians. And he said, you're already trying to live life apart from me. I will now validate that. And so he raises up the Babylonians who come in from the east, and they attack this kingdom. And they destroy most of the buildings. They even tear down the temple that was built and designed to honor this one true good king who is God. And they carry all of the young men off to Babylon. And they did horrible things, hard things to these young men so that the young men could no longer have children. And it looked for all the world's vision that this kingdom was finished. It was done. They would no longer exist. Here they sit in a land far away, yet again in bondage. But this good king, this good king did not forget them. 
this good king reached out to them. And even though they were in a land far away that was not his initial desire and intent, he sent them messengers to tell them, you are in bondage, but I will rescue you. I will bring you out. One of the messengers that he sent was a man by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah spoke on behalf of the good king. But his message was not always popular. But Jeremiah says that though you are in bondage, though you have found yourselves again in slavery and oppression, the good king loves you. He has not forgotten you. He is seeking you ever still. And he's going to restore the kingdom, but it's not going to be what you think. He's going to restore the kingdom, but it's going to be so much better. Listen to what Jeremiah says to these people in this kingdom as they sit in Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 and following. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, the good king, which means it will come to pass, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, I was faithful declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And these people looked forward eagerly to when God would do that, when the bondage and the oppression and the slavery of their own making would be relieved and centuries passed. Until finally the good king, well, he sent himself. He sent his own son, the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one, to usher in, to initiate, and to inaugurate the kingdom reforged on the earth. But it wasn't what these people expected. They said, we want a king who is strong, who is mighty, who will drive out all of our oppressors, who will establish for us a kingdom. He said, I'm not here to do that. And so they rejected him yet again. But this time, the king says, I'm not going to allow you to be sent away. I'm not going to allow you to be disbanded and dismembered and broken. I'm going to establish the kingdom anyway but it's not going to be what you expected. And so this good king, as is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, tells seven little stories to tell us how the kingdom will be and how it will operate in this age. This kingdom in this age is comprised with people who have God's law written on their hearts, who have his truth written on their souls, who do not have to abide by a code of conduct Instead, they have God's Spirit Himself dwelling within them. Now, obedience is not a burden. It is a joy because we know what God knows. We want what God wants. Not only that, in this age, Jesus tells the stories that the kingdom in this world comes now by hearing and receiving, not by conquest and domination. And as the kingdom is received and heard, and as people begin to go and to grow, there is a parallel kingdom that is sprouted up side by side, a kingdom of darkness. And at its foundations, the roots are intertwined so that you and I can't always tell the difference of which kingdom is which in this age, and it's not our job to try to root 
the dark kingdom out. That'll happen later. But the good kingdom sown by the good king will grow very rapidly, surprisingly so, and it will operate mysteriously and silently. We can't control it, manage it, or sometimes even measure it, but it's getting done. Well, then Jesus goes on to tell three more stories about what the kingdom of God is like in this age. And we're going to spend some time a very brief amount of time, talking about those next three stories this morning. Now, you've already heard it read from James and Anna, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44 to, four, to verse 52. It's a little triad of parables, a little three bundle of stories that are intended to communicate something about the kingdom in this age. And I should like to say right here that for these first two parables, there are as many different interpretations as there are people in this room. All sorts of different things. And it's, it's a little bit dicey because Jesus himself does not specifically and explicitly explain the parables. And so there is a little bit left to our imagination. Most of the interpretations can sort of be boiled down to one of these two angles of approach. You've heard about the treasure that was buried in a field, and you've heard about the pearl of great price. A lot of interpretations go something like this. The kingdom is intensely valuable. It is worth more than anything on the earth. And so you need to sacrifice and submit everything you have, everything that you are, everything that you will ever do in order to obtain that kingdom because it is so valuable. That is a very frequent, regular interpretation of this parable. The other interpretation of these two parables is that no, God is the one who is seeking, and he has found for himself pricelessness, a treasure that he will pay anything for himself. Now, not everyone agrees with me on this, but I tend very strongly to agree with the second interpretation. I think following the trajectory of all of the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 13 that has the preceding four parables, that is the only reasonable assumption and interpretation of these parables is that it is telling us about what the good king has done and will do to purchase back for himself a people, which is going to lead us to our big idea for the morning. I want to spend just a little bit of time unpacking through these parables. Our big idea for the morning is essentially this. The king spares no expense to secure his people. May not be what you think about the king. You may be thinking of the king that he's somewhat distant, detached, and generally cranky, but he is not. He views and prizes his people above all else, and the king spares no expense to secure his people. Well, the first parable is there in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, the parable makes no commentary of whether this was ethical or moral or not. That's not the point. This is completely appropriate in this day and age. This man finds a treasure. Now, to a Hebrew audience, which is primarily to whom Matthew is writing, a treasure immediately evokes Passages like Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, and Psalm 135, verse 4, where God says of Israel, you are my treasure, you are my prize, you're my favorites, you're the apple of my eye, I'm crazy about you, you are my treasure. To a Hebrew voice, they understand a treasure in a field that's this land, it's Israel itself. 
Though I believe very passionately that what Jesus is saying is from this land, from Israel, I will usher in people into this new kingdom, many of whom will not even understand what's happening. But I will do it. This land will yield a bounty. We've already heard that the kingdom of heaven is like a field with four different kinds of soil. The kingdom of heaven is like a field that has two different crops sown in it. And from this land, I will produce for myself a people in this kingdom, in this age. And sure enough, you keep reading in the story, we get to the book of Acts chapter 2, and what do we see? Every time Peter preaches, thousands and thousands of Jews from Israel hear, and they receive, and they are ushered into the kingdom. We go on to find in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we're told that Jesus, for the joy set before him, what is the joy set before Jesus? Well, certainly it is the glory of God and to be back with his presence. But Jesus has experienced the joy and the glory of God for all eternity. It's not something new. The only thing in the cosmos Jesus did not have was us. So we are the joy set before him. The treasure in that field represents the people of Israel who in this age, against all odds and expectations, would be ushered into the kingdom. But then he goes on. Verse 45. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, someone whose business it is to seek out that which is lost, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Just like the king represented in the Old Testament, beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. And in this case, the beholder declares great value, great worth. Now, it's very strange that Jesus would simply put two stories side by side without any explanation. Is it just because he ran out of things to say? It's like a treasure, it's like a pearl. You know, you know, you know. Or is he actually conveying something with this? Where do pearls come from? Pearls, of course, come from the sea. The sea, to a Jewish mind, is scary. It is separation. It is other, it is different. It's where the other nations come from. So I believe very clearly Jesus is talking, not in riddles that cannot be understood, but he's, he's speaking in stories that at once encourage the believer and befuddle the unbeliever who refuses to receive that truth. Pearls represent the Gentile nations. How do pearls form? Well, they start sort of as an accident with an irritant somewhere in that clam that organically begins to produce something beautiful. That would be the Gentiles coming to faith in this age. It is a mystery. It was in the Old Testament, but no one saw it clearly. This is what Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians. The mystery is that God has always wanted to seek the Gentile nations. Genesis chapter 12 in Isaiah, God says, I want to bless all the nations. And Jesus is saying, in this kingdom age, the king has pursued people who he declares worthwhile in this land and the people all over the world. All of the nations are now invited and ushered in. And so against all expectations, as the Jews are hearing this, Jesus is saying what Paul will later confirm, that the dividing wall of hostility between people groups, tribes and tongues, ethnicities and races has been obliterated by the finished work of Jesus in his body. And so now, astonishingly, it's not just that God is going to bring back this people from exile in Babylon. Oh, he's doing a bigger, better thing. It's people of all tribes and tongues. Now you've got in the kingdom of God in this age, not just people from Israel, although you do, you've also got people from Rome. 
You got Romans, the oppressors. In fact, Jesus loves the centurions. You got Persians and Greeks and Egyptians and Babylonians and Philistines and French people, even people from East Texas. They're all invited in if they will but hear and receive. This is what the kingdom is going to look like in this age. This is these two side-by-side parables. Because the king spares no expense to secure his people. Which brings us finally to this final parable of this set. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a strange thing. We've got all these seven parables, and the seventh of which is about angels coming to harvest people. That's a weird thing. It's a treasure. It's a pearl. It's like angels harvesting souls. That's bizarre. Unless you understand what Jesus is doing, in these seven parables explaining what the kingdom of God is like in this age. What that means is this age, just like every other administration that has come through our scriptures, this age will also end in judgment. There is an intertwining, an intermingling of the kingdom of of darkness with the kingdom of light and truth. But there will come a day when the agents, the emissaries of God himself will root this kingdom out and destroy it. And notice... These fish are not commended or condemned for anything that they have done. They simply are or they are not. They are righteous and good and worthwhile or they are worthless. And the gospel is going to continue to tell us that those who are are those who are righteous, those who are found to be in Christ. Those who are not are anyone who have tried to achieve and obtain goodness and righteousness on their own strength. They don't measure up and so they are thrown out. Well, Jesus continues in verses 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, and I quote, uh-huh, which is a way of saying, uh-huh. they didn't get it, but they said yes. We know that later in, Gen- or in Matthew chapter 15, he rebukes them for being dull of mind. I know that feeling. They are severely and soundly rebuked. Later in chapter 16, Peter is called Satan. He doesn't get it either. They are beginning to understand, but not fully, not yet. And so he says in verse 52, he says to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is fascinating, very instructive. Jesus is saying those who understand what the kingdom of heaven is actually like will be those who talk about it. That it is both comprised of old elements and new. We're going to talk about both. It is the hearkening back of an old kingdom now made manifest in a new way. It is already and not yet. This is how we are to talk about the kingdom of God in this age. So this leads me to three very quick points of implication. Just something I want us to think about as we finish up these parables from Matthew 13. Very quickly, the first implication is this. This is the kingdom of already and not yet. It has inaugurated. It has initiated But the thing that Jeremiah describes in chapter 31 has not fully manifest yet. There is still more to come. We believe then the God-man himself returns at second advent, and he literally reigns and rules from Jerusalem. 
But in the meantime, in this age called the church, the good king is still the mediator of this new covenant that Jeremiah talked about. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator, the distributor, the dispenser of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred, namely his, that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. The good king has come to fulfill and to complete the first covenant and to usher in a new and better covenant. He is the mediator of that. We live in that age, the kingdom, this is the kingdom of already and not yet. Which leads me to my second point of application and implication. Who are we? Rebels to representatives. We are rebels to representatives. Natural born enemies of God and one another are now elevated and esteemed and dignified because of the declaration of the king that says we can do this. And this is what we're to be about. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 6 say this. Not that we are sufficient or competent or able or adequate to claim anything is coming from, our, from, our, from ourselves, from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We get to be mediators of the new covenant as well. We get to invite people into the aspect of the kingdom that exists in this age, not by telling them to do this or that, or to be gooder, or try harder, or to be more, but simply telling them the good news of what God has done in Christ to redeem man to himself and to one another. We rebels are now representatives. And then finally, the third point, the kingdom of already and not yet will not last forever. And so we are to have a heightened sense of diligence and vigilance as we proclaim and herald the message of the kingdom, that he is good, we can trust him. He really does love us and have a wonderful plan for our lives. This pertains immediately and directly to what we're going to do here in just a moment with our child dedications. We want to be focused and indeed fierce in holding a crown over the heads of our children and raising them into the nobility that they were created to do. Because the days are short we don't know when the days will end. Some of you thought it was going to be on Saturday, but look, here you are. Here you are. Your alarm went off at 6 in the morning, and you went, I'm ready. Awkward. But we don't know when it will be. We just know that this age will conclude in judgment. And so to take every opportunity to spread the good news that this king spares no expense to secure his people. This is what our king has done for us. It's what we get to do now for others. We have this king who cares for us, this champion who was willing to die, and this brother who is proud. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're still trying to slog it out according to your own skill and your own attempts, your own strengths and abilities, I just want you to know we believe that you will be frustrated and have a life full of futility. We invite you to believe that this good king, Jesus, the son of the living God, really did what he set out to do. For the rest of us, I just want to remind us that we have this sense of urgency to be busily about being scribes trained for the kingdom of heaven, to talk about that which is old and that which is new, that the rightful king has landed. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the families that are going to be uh, part of our child dedication service this morning. And as they're coming forward, I'm going to ask Stephanie Mazingo, who is our leader of all of our children's ministries, if she too would come forward and get this started.
But I want you to be, as these families come forward, I want you to be uh, in prayer for them. And then we're going to talk about what this means and what this looks like. So please join me right now in prayer as these families come forward. Father, we do thank you for this day, for this word, for this truth. I pray that you will drive it into our hearts and you'll be honored by it and you will continue to usher people into your kingdom. Father, we pray for these that will come. We pray all these things that they will be elevated and dignified and raised, ever increasingly forged into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray all these things the only way we can in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.